Well, we are um, uh, coming toward the end of Counting the Omer. And I hope that you've been reading Isaiah uh, and, uh, and hopefully our little blurbs sending out have been helpful, just pointing, pointing out things along the way, you know, but really just encouraging us to continue the, uh, the reading. And, uh, and I, reading uh, the book of Isaiah really is a, uh, in one way, it's a challenge. First of all, there's 66 chapters. You know, it's not like reading Obadiah, right? You know, uh, so there's 66 chapters. That does take a while. And let's face it, some of it you're thinking, what's going on? You know, I, what, what's the roadmap here in, in Isaiah? But you know what? It's okay if you have been reading Isaiah and have not been able to figure out exactly what, you know, what's going on in this chapter or that. That's okay. Can you believe that? That's, it's okay. Because the intake of the word of God with a heart for the Lord makes a big difference in our lives. And I will say this, I hope that this is not the first time only, or no, I shouldn't say it like that, that this is the only time that you are reading the book of Isaiah. Because the more you read it, the more it, it kind of comes together, right? And I will say from time to time, I have taught a, a course, an MSI course, on Isaiah, uh, and, uh, and I did try to sort of put it, put it together in the different groups of, of chapters, but I intentionally uh, did not go into lots, of, um, into lots of detail to take away from just reading the text, you know, just from just reading the text. And also, uh, uh, Psalm 67, verses 1 to 7, and meditating on those verses. And uh, wasn't it really interesting how the, the seven verses really kind of go with what Isaiah is talking about? Uh, and that also, you know, that, that never ceases to amaze me, how different parts of the Bible, when we read them, we see how they kind of fit together like, like puzzle pieces, you know, you know? So I hope that you've been doing that. And if you haven't had the opportunity... I, well, that, you know, that's okay, and I hope that uh, uh, you might be motivated uh, when, you, when you can, maybe over the summer, to read the book of Isaiah. That would be a, a good challenge uh, as, as well. And of course, uh, counting the, uh, the days and reading uh, the, the Bible, the, it helps us to appreciate how, uh, how thankful we are by anticipating, by counting the days, we're anticipating the end of them, right? And uh, part of the, the method of the madness of uh, counting those 49 days, basically from uh, the celebration of Passover to Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, uh, is an anticipation of getting there, right? So the rabbis would tell us that it's an anticipation of, uh, of our love for the Torah, you know, that it's, it's like waiting to go on a vacation, right? You X out the days. Or I should say, uh, you know, like, well, although all, all of our kids went off to their classes, I was going to say, you know, when school ends, right? How many days are left, right? Or counting off to your birthday or something Im important, you know? Now, if you're a school teacher, you definitely are crossing off those days. Wait a minute. Uh, okay. But... Um, but in looking uh, with anticipation, you know, to, to an event. So uh, again, the tradition is, is looking with anticipation 
to uh, Shavuot to celebrate the Torah. Because the Torah, the giving of the Torah is a celebration of, the one could say, the, the betrothal of God to Israel. You know, so a great a celebration. And of course, as Messiah followers, not only that, but also for us, the anticipation historically of uh, moving from uh, the death and resurrection of Yeshua uh, through his ascension to the pouring out of the Ruach, right? And so the celebration of the new covenant, the celebration of, one might say, the engagement of uh, the Messiah to uh, the Messiah followers, right? And then in another way, sort of a big uh, eschatological, end-time, cosmic kind of way, that it is a a microcosm, a little picture of our lives looking forward with hope and anticipation, knowing that this is not all there is, but we're going to get to Shavuot, you know, we're going to get uh, to uh, the release, to the consummation, and and all of that, and, and boy, I will say that I think that for us, that is a fabulous reminder at Shavuot, because let's face it, you know, when you're on the big journey of life, uh, uh, you, uh, you don't always see the finish line, you know, it's, it could be depending on where you are in life, it, you know, we're in the, if you're in the middle of life and you're raising children and you're, or working or, you know, doing all kinds of things, it's, uh, we're not thinking that, uh, wow, there, there's, a, there, there's a hope for the future, that hope is sort of like an interesting thing and something to sing about uh, until you get kind of maybe close to it, I suppose, you know? But, you know, of course, uh, we never know when that day might be. But it is great for us to live every day of our lives thinking about hope and not just let me get through the muck and mire of today. <sighs> right? But recognize that, wow, you know, this is not all there is. I'm getting, you know, the day is coming. We're going to be there. And that generates hope and interest and excitement about knowing the Lord, no matter what's going on uh, in our lives. So let's talk a little bit about uh, Shavuot uh, today. Again, uh, Tuesday night, we'll be uh, celebrating uh, uh, Shavuot. We're the tradition is, is to have a sweet dairy product, so we'll be having cheesecake, right? Okay, you know, okay, and so that, that is always, uh, that's a high point of the year right there, okay? Uh, absolutely. And then uh, I will be giving a, a little uh, teaching on uh, a prayer that's, uh, that uh, was written sometime in the Middle Ages that uh, is said only on Shavuot. Akdamut, uh, and it's really very interesting when you understand what it's what it's about, and I trust that it will be something a little different and interesting about um, about uh, Shavuot, uh, and with some real great applications for us as Messiah followers. And then uh, we're going to be having a um, uh, uh, like uh, what I, I can never remember the in the know. See, I'm not watching the right, th- the right stuff on TV, right? In the know, right? You know, that's like that, that high school, uh, you know, uh, where, where kids from different high schools come and are challenged, you know, with asking questions. So we're going to have a number of different teams, adults, uh, youth, all together, all mixed in together. Uh, and, uh, and that'll be fun. And we'll be asking different questions, 
Thank you, Marcy and, uh, and Henry, for coming up with the questions and organizing all of that. Uh, and so that'll be really, uh, that'll be really fun. Uh, just sort of a different way of learning uh, on, uh, on uh, Shavuot. Uh, so I hope that you'll be able to be here, and that'll be at 7 o'clock. We'll start at 7. Uh, and uh, so come for dessert, come for learning, and come for the challenge of answering questions. It'll be, it'll be fun. Uh, and Shavuot is a, uh, is a holiday, is a celebration. So speaking of that, uh, let's get out of the way. What do we call this holiday? What do we call this? This is a holiday that has a variety of different names, right? Uh, in Hebrew, the first time we read about it, it's actually called Chag HaKatsir, right? Uh, and that is the Feast of the Harvest, that's in Exodus chapter 23, right? Uh, but then the rest of the times that it's named, it's uh, called Chag HaShavuot, right? Or the Feast of Weeks, Feast of Weeks. So first, the question is, uh, is it a feast or is it a festival? That's a good question, I thought. That's a good question. Uh, you know what I, what I would say? You know what I would say? It's a holiday. <laughs> but... The term uh, in, the, in the text is chag, chag, okay? So chag means, uh, uh, it's, well, it's actually used in the Bible as a pilgrimage, a time of pilgrimage, of coming to Jerusalem. Uh, and depending on whether you are singing and rejoicing or eating during that time, it's a feast or a festival, right? Uh, the words are kind of interchangeable. But I would say that if we're going to say, what is the name of the, what is it called? Uh, I would say probably uh, Feast of Weeks, just as it is in every, every, at least English translation that I've ever seen. Uh, however, if we're referring to it, we might call it, oh, it's a holiday or it's a festival, right? Uh, but I would say uh, in my life, uh, I have, uh, in my personal life, not teaching on it, I would just, I would call it, it's a holiday, <laughs> okay? Uh, and uh, because sometimes I think when we use the words feast or festival, it sort of becomes like a um, something else. But it's something that, it's a holiday. And a holiday, think about it. A holiday is, is a time where we're celebrating something or we're rejoicing in something. Uh, and, and, and we're applying it to our lives in a way uh, as, as the word holiday might, uh, might be. Just like, you know, uh, we might refer to Thanksgiving as the Feast of Thanksgiving, right? But usually we don't say that. It's a holiday, right? Because of all that that means to us, all that that word symbolizes to us. So there you go. Uh, chag, you can just call it that. Okay, uh, feast, festival, holiday, but you know, uh, uh, but boy, is it a special day, a special day for us. First of all, it is one of three holidays. Oh, there I go. One of three holidays uh, where God requires uh, representatives from uh, from uh, all the tribes and all the Jewish people to come uh, to Jerusalem. Shloshim uh, Regalim, one of the uh, three pilgrimage, uh, three pilgrimages, actually, literally is what that would mean. 
uh, uh, to come for, uh, to bring first fruits, a celebration of the harvest. Shavuot is the late spring harvest. And so when we say it's a celebration, it is a celebration of the provision of God. Three times a year, they would send representatives to Jerusalem to present an offering of provision. Really, it's not only of provision. Uh, 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 it is really an offering of appreciation, of recognizing that all that we have comes from God. Now remember that in those days, I mean, 5,000 years ago, we're talking about, remember, <laughs> I can't remember last week. But anyway, way, way back then, uh, people did not earn paper dollars or coins, right? So at this time, it was quite an, it was an agrarian society. So they would, uh, what they grew is what they lived on. I mean, think about that. What they grew and what they harvested is what they lived on. And they brought the first fruits, the beginning of that harvest, to Jerusalem, to God. That requires trust in God. Because it would have been very easy to say, we have too many mouths to feed. We cannot bring this offering to, to God. But by bringing it, it was an act of faith. It was an act of trust. It was an act of appreciation for the provision of God. So let's not just run over the idea that they brought the first fruits. That's a very significant thing. And I will, just in passing, I will say that should be our attitude in giving, right? Whether we're talking about Shavuot, whether we're talking about Sukkot, whether we're talking about other offerings in, in the Bible, uh, any offering that was brought was very costly and required faith that God would provide for our needs because we are thanking him with the beginning of the, of the harvest, of the provision. And how important is it, is it for us as we translate that into our world where almost all of us receive uh, uh, paper dollars and coins, right? Because they weren't, in other words, what I'm trying to say, they didn't give out of their little garden that they had on the side. They gave out of their provision. And that is how God calls us to give. And that's why you read in the Brit Hadashah about giving joyfully, giving regularly, and in, in, in all the ways that it, that, it, that, it, that it talks about. Give sacrificially, because it is exactly like those offerings. It's the very same way, right? You know, in Isaiah chapter 1, God says, I hate your festivals, I hate your holidays, I hate your feasts. Not because they weren't doing it, but because they weren't giving joyfully, because they were, it was just something that they had to do, and their hard attitude was totally disassociated from, from their serving and from their giving and all of those animals and of those offerings. And God doesn't, you know, God is not so petty that it's like, okay, well, as long as you paid me, everything's in good shape. No. The whole idea is an act of worship. Right? The bringing of those first fruits was an act of worship. All of our giving to God is, is an act of worship. And uh, just like we sing in the very same way, like we sing or like we participate in, in any other way. So Shavuot is one of these three uh, pilgrimage festivals. Shloshim Regalim, right? 
And most of the time, uh, when it's named, it is being named as part of one of those three, one of those three holidays of coming to Jerusalem. Almost every reference to the holiday is about as it is one of those three pilgrimage uh, holidays. One thing that's kind of interesting in the place where it's most described, it actually isn't named; it's just described. But by name, it is one of those uh, three uh, holidays, pilgrimage feasts. Okay. So uh, later, this came to be understood as the anniversary of receiving the Torah. We don't know exactly when that was. Don't know exactly when that was. Uh, But, you know, I will say this, that uh, after the uh, destruction of the temple in 70, okay, everything changed, really. Uh, As you know, uh, that uh, uh, a number of Jewish uh, leaders... Uh, of the day uh, met at a place called Yavne, and they met there for a long time because they developed a way to be Jewish and to practice the faith of the, of the God of Israel, faith in the God of Israel, without a temple and without, and without Jerusalem, right? And so, like at Passover, uh, some of what had been the peripheral traditions became the main traditions, uh, and so there is a, a good possibility that uh, the tradition of remembering the giving of the Torah either was developed or came to, the, came to be the centerpiece of uh, Shavuot uh, after the destruction of the temple. But we're not, nobody really knows that, uh, knows that for sure. But it is very important uh, as we understand uh, Shavuot as the anniversary of receiving the Torah. You know, if you go back to, um, if you go back to uh, Exodus chapter 19, if you look carefully there at the beginning of the chapter, it says it was the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out, had gone out from the land of Egypt. So that makes it the month of Sivan, which is this month. And if you add the days the days that they had to wait, the three days that they had to wait. And, and so it, it, it approximates at least Shavuot, uh, this, uh, this date, the 6th uh, of, uh, of Sivan. So that's kind of interesting of, of uh, either God, of either Moses actually coming down with the tablets, but more likely, uh, uh, well, actually not Moses coming down with the tablets, you know, the big question in Exodus 19 is how many times did Moses go up and down that mountain, right? Uh, um, and one of those times, he says the Ten Commandments before they, uh, he, they, he comes down. And of course, he was up there for a long time, right? But he says the Ten Commandments. So we don't know. Maybe the sixth of Sivan was when he said them, or maybe it was when God visited upon them. See, I, I, in either case... Uh, uh, the holiday of Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, has come to represent uh, the giving of the Torah. So this then becomes not only the remembrance of God providing for their welfare in, in terms of the land, but an anniversary of covenant relationship, uh, and uh, you know, w- which certainly includes uh, uh, provision. 
Uh, and, and really, uh, the, the events of uh, Exodus chapter 19 uh, is, one might say, and understood in Judaism, as like the betrothal of God to Israel. That uh, it, it was not an end unto itself. The giving of the Torah was not an end unto itself. It was to provide them a, a, a way of life that they could understand and live uh, as uh, once they entered the uh, the promised land, right? Uh, and uh, and so it, it speaks of provision, covenant relationship, protection, the love of God, uh, and you know, and all of that, right? So uh, Shavuot then becomes like the betrothal of Israel to God, and so it's it certainly is a reminder to Israel and to us, to all of us. Uh, that we are on a uh, we are on a journey, and that there is a, a future. When Israel left Sinai and entered the wilderness, uh, the remembrance of freedom from Egypt and Sinai were uh, what uh, what Moses used to motivate the people to move uh, to move forward. Okay. The, uh, the immediate release uh, from Egypt was, in, was to be engagement to God. And so Shavuot reminds us, certainly, of that engagement uh, uh, to God. And another way, certainly, of saying that is that, uh, you know, is that God is indeed uh, the king. They, they were no longer under the thumb of the king of Egypt. Now they were uh, embraced by the love of of God, the King of Israel. Uh, and so Shavuot is a reminder, uh, again, of entering into, uh, into that covenant and into that relationship. That's why uh, we eat dairy. It reminds us of uh, both uh, the land of milk and honey and also uh, that uh, the Word of God is pure and like milk and things, things of that nature. Uh, but, you know, there's something very interesting um, about uh, when the Torah was uh, given. Not only do we see, uh, in terms of time, in terms of journey, that it was not an end. God did not want them to stay in the, in the wilderness, right? The goal was not to stay at Mount Sinai. The goal was to stop off at Sinai, receive the Torah, and then keep moving, right? But it is interesting that uh, if you go to... Uh, the uh, 29th chapter of Deuteronomy. The 29th chapter. Now remember, you know, they're at the, they're at the brink, right? They're at the plains of Moab. They're ready to go, ready to go in. And Moses says, These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the sons of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which he had made with them at Horeb, or Sinai. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, you have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and all his servants in his land, uh, the great trials which your eyes have seen, those great signs and wonders. Yet to this day, now remember, now this is long after they have received the Torah at Sinai. They're about to go in the land. Yet to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to know, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. That's an amazing statement. Uh, in, in other words, he's saying you need something else. You have the Torah, but evidently uh, you need something else because, and as Moses knew so well, 
we are a rebellious people, right? Uh, and so then if you were to read all the way through chapter 29, uh, he goes on to say how hey, you're going to go into the land, but you're not going to be able to you're not going to be able to live in the way that God has called you to live. You need something else. And then when you come down to chapter 30, it says at the beginning, So it shall be when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul, according to all that I command you today, and your sons. Now remember this. They have not yet entered the land, and Moses is now telling them, you're going to go in the land, and you're going to be there for a long time, but it's going to be difficult. This is not going to be the end of the journey. It's not the end of the journey, right? Because you're actually going to end up leaving the land, and that won't be the end of the journey. The journey continues, okay? And it says, and you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you today and your sons. So he's speaking long into the future when he says that, that you're going to return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you today and your sons. Then it says, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If you're outcasts or at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you back. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it, and he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. So he is saying that there is going to be a day when you will receive what you need. As Moses said all the way back at the beginning of chapter 29, the Lord has not given you a heart to know, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. No, that would come into the future. That would come. He's given them the, the Torah, but the day would come in the future after exile, after captivity, the day would come when you will have eyes to see, you will have a heart of understanding, you know, uh, and, and ears uh, to hear when God circumcises the, the, the heart. Now, the prophets took note of this, you know. Much of the informed theology of the prophets that we all love so much, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel, and the rest of them, they got a lot of in information from the, uh, the eschatology of the Torah, of the, uh, the end times information uh, from the Torah. Because the Torah says itself it's going to be after years go by, right? And then God gave them more information. But if you turn to the prophet Joel, Joel, for our purposes today, prophet Joel, in the second chapter, in the 28th verse, now, the, the prophet spoke about this idea of a circumcised heart in varieties of ways, using different words and, you know, uh, and, and different concepts. Joel says in chapter 2 and verse 28, and it will come about after this, after the shame, after captivity and, and all of that, that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. Whoa, that is like, now oh, there's some new information. 
I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. And even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And then it says, And it will come about that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be those who escape, as the Lord said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Okay, so uh, there's a couple of things here that are huge. One is, he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit. That phrase, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all mankind. Okay, so what, it, what that means is that it's not going to be a select few that have the ruach. Because in the day of Joel, only a select few people, not only, you know, mankind is huge. It wasn't even all Israel. It was, uh, it was supposed to be the kings, uh, perhaps you know, the high priest, uh, those who had a specific message to share, but it was not universal, and it was not even universal among all, all of Israel. So this is a huge thing that he says, right? That when God circumcises the hearts of Israel, it's going to make a difference for all of mankind. All of mankind, see, okay? And perhaps this is what uh, Paul may have been referring to, this and probably a number of passages, when, uh, when he says, For if their rejection be the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Meaning that it's not, ju not just for Israel, but for all, all, of, uh, all of mankind. But the point here is, is that God is going to pour out his spirit. And then the significant words here, we often miss. It's sons, daughters, old men, young men, male servants, female servants, meaning everybody, everybody. We take that for granted. We, like, we look at all the other parts. But this is what was huge in that day, see, that it would be universal in scope. Right? Universal in scope. All right. Now, another of the prophets, Ezekiel, also talks about this. Ezekiel 36 <clears throat> says this in a different way. He says, just to cut to the chase here, he says, Moreover, I will give you, in verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Here's one of those places where flesh is not a bad thing, okay? I will, then look at verse 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So God says here, I'm going to put, now here he's talking about Israel. I'm going to put my spirit within you and you will then be able to, you'll have a heart of understanding, eyes to see, ears to hear. You will, I will cause you to walk in my statutes. God says, I'm going to make it happen. It's not just, I'm not giving you some legislation. I'm not giving you, um, I'm not writing this out and just handing it to you. But he says, no, I'm going to internalize this. Pouring out his spirit means he's going to internalize, empower us to live out this word. Now, Jeremiah sees this and says it, but he says it a little different way. 
in chapter 31, in verse 31 and following. Uh, You may be familiar with that. And notice Jeremiah uses the term a new covenant. Perhaps Jeremiah is thinking about what Moses is saying in chapter 29 of Deuteronomy. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. Notice, if this was an MSI class, I would spend a lot more time on that and show you how it, the, the, the way that Jeremiah phrases this is very similar to Deuteronomy chapter 29. It's very interesting. Okay, In other words, Moses talks about you need something more, another covenant. And here Jeremiah articulates that. Okay, All right. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach again each man his neighbor, and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. Notice again, kind of like Ezekiel, kind of like Joel, coming from Deuteronomy chapter 29, that it is universal in scope. That's why he says, you won't teach uh, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, no, Lord, for they shall all know me. Right? Like old men, young men, male, female, whoever it might be. Right? From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. So when you read in Ezekiel that God says, I will place my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, may I suggest that is exactly what Jeremiah is saying when he says, I will put my Torah within you. Okay? All right. Very good. So this is all leading up to this great promise, of course, of the coming of a Messiah, of the coming of Yeshua. Right? Uh, And uh, it's interesting, if you turn to the Gospel of John... In chapter 7, for a second, in, John, in, in the Sukkot passage of uh, John chapter 7, notice how John gives this little explanation about what Yeshua is saying on the last day, the great day of the feast. In John 7, uh, 38, okay, he says, He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from, an innermost, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But now verse 39 is John explaining that to us, the readers. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Yeshua was not yet glorified. So in the ministry of the Messiah, in his teaching ministry, and then, of course, in his death and his resurrection, it all is leading up to... See, one thing leads to another. His death was necessary so he could be raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead. And one of the great blessings of that is that then the Spirit of God is poured out. All of this uh, like resurrection and the pouring out of the Spirit are all signs of the Olam Haba, of the beginning of the world to come. See? Now, Yeshua thinks this is pretty important because as he is preparing to die in the last day of his life, 
he explains pretty specifically that the Spirit of God is coming. Okay? In chapter 14, in John 14, remember that these teachings in John right here are at the Seder, are at the Last Supper. Okay? This is just before, you know, they, they, uh, now they're, they, at the end of this, they're going to go out and he's going to get arrested and so on and so forth. Okay, so notice in John 14, he's trying to explain to them that he's going away, you know, and they're worried and they don't understand. Uh, But if you look down all the way to verse 16, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever, that is, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not believe him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you uh, as orphans. Okay? Uh, I will come to you. After a little while, the world will behold me no more, but you will behold me because I live. You shall live also. In that day, you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. You know, uh, in passing, I will just say, one of the interesting things about reading about, um, about the triunity of God in the Gospels is that Yeshua never gives such great categories of like the, the job description exactly of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You'll notice that he says, I'm going to send you another helper, the Spirit of truth, and then he talks about himself being in them. And so, very important that the role of the Ruach in our lives is to glorify Yeshua and make Yeshua known in our our lives. Very, very important. Okay? In John chapter 15, in verse 26, he says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. And you will bear witness also because you have seen, you have been with me from the beginning. So the spirit of truth, the helper, I I will bear witness of Yeshua in our lives. Okay? And then in chapter 16, we read, but when, in, in verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own initiative, Whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Okay, well, I'll just stop there on that. So he promises that the Spirit of God is going to come by which... Yeshua will dwell in us and he will be glorified and we will bear witness of him in our lives because of the presence of the Ruach HaKodesh. And the reason that he says this and the reason he talks about the Spirit is because he is explaining to them not only just that they're not going to be alone, but that this is what the prophets have been prophesying. This pouring out of the Spirit. And this was very important to Yeshua. And remember how I said uh, uh, that, you know, when we think about hope, sometimes it doesn't become really real to us till we're close to it. Well, Yeshua was about to die the next day. 
And, and so he is saying to his disciples, okay, this, it's all going to happen now. The unfolding of, you know what it's called, actually, the finished work of Messiah. His death, the atonement, his resurrection, his ascension, the pouring out of the Spirit. That's all one big work uh, of, of salvation for us. And the beginning of the future. Okay? All right. Uh, and so, this is why when we come to Acts chapter 2, and we read at the very beginning of the page, of, well, actually, if you look in chapter 1, uh, what do we read? We read here, uh, the disciples have a question. They're confused, okay? They're confused. Because, you see, they know, they have the conventional wisdom, just like, not, very little difference than like Jewish people today. I got to tell very little different in, in this regard. The conventional wisdom is, oh, the Messiah, he's going to usher in this great kingdom in Israel, and enemies will be destroyed, and we'll live in peace and harmony in the world, and it's going to be great, right? So the disciples are confused. They say in verse 6, now, he has died, he's risen, he's taught them. Like, now what's going to happen? What, what's going to happen? So, what do we read? It says in verse 6, So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Now, are you, okay, like that's what's supposed to happen. That's their expectation. They thought that was going to happen when he came into Jerusalem after raising Lazarus from the dead. But it wasn't then. Okay, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? He says to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit, when the Ruach HaKodesh has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in, in all of Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. He's the helper. He's the one who's going to guide us. He's the, he's the spirit of truth. He's going to bear witness of Yeshua. He's going to glorify Yeshua. And so we are empowered not just to have great worship services. We are empowered to, to bring this message of Messiah by word and deed everywhere into this world. Everywhere into this world. And so they were to wait. So then we read in Acts chapter 2. And when Shavuot, Shavuot or Shavuos had come, the day of Pentecost, it is called Pentecost because it's the holiday, not because it's 50 days after the resurrection. It is 50 days after the resurrection, but it's called Pentecost because it's the Jewish holiday, okay, of Shavuot. And when the day of Shavuot had come, they were all together in one place. They were, people were together in one place because this is the second of those three pilgrimage festivals. And they were coming to bring the first fruits of the late spring harvest. And so there were Jewish people from all over the place that were there. And then it says, And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them tongues as of a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. We don't have time now, but if you read it down, they were all speaking different languages and understanding them. This is a, a marvelous picture of the ultimate future, 
when people from all kinds of languages and ethnic groups all come together and worship the Lord. But this here was within Israel. Not Israel as the place, but Israel as the people living in varieties of different communities, speaking different languages. And here now they've come to Jerusalem uh, and they receive the Spirit of God has been poured out. This is part of what Yeshua referred to as the mystery, the mystery of the kingdom. The mystery, what had not been made known, but what is being made known now, it is not at this time that the Spirit is poured out and it's like this objective reality and now that's it. End of story. But no, it is received by, it is, the Spirit of God is received by those who embrace Yeshua. That means part of that mystery of the kingdom is that it can be rejected. That is what some of those parables in Matthew chapter 13 is talking about. Different kinds of ground, you know, and so on and so forth, that it, it can be rejected. Wow. And that is, in Acts chapter 2, the beginning of the pouring out of the Ruach, the first fruits of the Spirit, the first fruits of the end times. And by the pouring out of the Ruach, every time some, every, when you came to believe, when you came to believe, when I came to believe, we enter into this community of those here in Acts chapter 2 who have embraced uh, Yeshua and who have the Ruach and who are now empowered to share this witness and really fulfill our calling because in Isaiah we read that we are called to be witnesses, God's witnesses in this world of who he is. And now we are empowered to do so. And so Shavuot is the celebration of that, the celebration of that, not only of the giving of the Torah, but of God's provision and the greatest provision of all, the Ruach HaKodesh. And so we see here, there is a new equality to people, a new empowerment to people, a new closeness to God, but it is not the end. It's sort of the beginning of the end. And that's why Yeshua tells his disciples to wait until the Spirit of God comes and then go and make disciples. That is what we're called to do until it's over. If you want to know overall, what are we called to do? We're called to be empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh to go all over the place and to tell people and to demonstrate who Yeshua, who Yeshua is. Okay? All right. Uh, now, I, uh, well, I'll share some of this on Tuesday, but I'm going to finish today with this because I know some of you might not be there Tuesday. And that is, it is very interesting that um, when you read in, I'm just going to tell you this because of time. When you read in Leviticus chapter 25 about the year of Jubilee, you notice that it's written very similarly to what you read about Shavuot. It says, you shall count not 49 days, but you shall count 49 years. And the next year, or the 50th year, is the year of Jubilee. Okay? In Leviticus chapter 23, when it's talking about Shavuot, it says count 49 days. And the day after that is Shavuot. That is not a coincidence. Right? Not a coincidence. Because the year of Jubilee, even though it says that, it will, that the year of Jubilee begins on, uh, on uh, Yom Kippur, but it is, in a way, the conclusion, the consummation of 
Shavuot because it is the year of release. It is the year of release from bondage, whether we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, captives of various kinds, whatever it might be. Yeshua quotes Isaiah 61, which you're reading, right? Uh, in, uh, in Luke chapter 4, he quotes uh, Isaiah 61, talking about the year, this um, year, uh, God, the year of God's favor, which by Isaiah's day was now understood of what the year of Jubilee was. But anyway, Yeshua says this about himself. Okay, he says the book was well. It says the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened up the book and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then he closes the book. And so Yeshua came to proclaim that favorable year of the Lord, to proclaim that release. And may I suggest that, that the pouring out of the Ruach Shavuot is prophetic of the beginning of that year of release. And so we celebrate the holiday of Shavuot. It's sort of like our, our coming out uh, as Messiah followers, right? Uh, of the pouring out of the Ruach and our receiving of the Messiah and our uh, living, empower, the empowerment that we have to live out God's word and to make a difference in this world. And uh, just in finishing up, it is, a, um, it is an opportunity for us to think, a reminder for us to think about, wow, wow, am I being that witness? Am I uh, being empowered not only to overcome sin in my life, but for the purpose of being a testimony to this world, you know? So let us appreciate what God has done. Let us appropriate what he has given us. And let us articulate that message to our people and anticipate the future consummation that we are a part of. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, uh, we thank you, God, for Shavuot. What a great holiday. What a great holiday, Lord, of, uh, of your provision Thank you, Lord, uh, uh, that you, in, in ancient times, provided food for our people. And thank you, Lord, that there was this opportunity of giving back to you. Lord, uh, I pray, God, that uh, as we celebrate the gift of the Ruach in our lives, the gift of the Spirit in our lives, may we realize that it's all about giving back to you. And may we give back to you by the way we live, uh, by the way that we worship, by the way that we're out in the street and where we go and, and in all things, may we be a testimony to you. And in that way, may we truly observe, celebrate, and appreciate Shavuot. And we pray in Messiah's name, amen.